chapter 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1180. Acts chapter 4. Just a a couple of weeks ago, we came back from uh, a trip in Africa. I didn't get this in the bulletin, but we're we're very excited, uh, my wife and I, together with Steve and Cindy Lyle, to share with you about what, what we did while we were in East Africa. And we're going to be doing that at a luncheon the Sunday after Easter. And uh, so we'll, there will be announcements and you'll hear about that. That'll be April 19th. But uh, yeah, today uh, I'm filling in for Jeremy. Jeremy uh, had jury duty this week and uh, he was picked. So he is on a jury and he can't tell us anything about the case and we can't tell him anything because we don't know anything about what case it is. And so Jeremy's all absorbed in his own little world. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he did tell us that it was juicy. So um, I, I have a, a challenge before me. He, I, I was asked to fill in, and uh, this is a challenge to, to my courage to be able to uh, you know, speak the Word of God on, on somewhat short notice, especially because the topic today is having courage to speak the Word of God. So will you bow with me in prayer? And Father, we come before you. We thank you that you're with your servants. You always have been. You always will be. And you enable us and you empower us to speak for your glory. So be with us during this time and encourage our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 4 is... A, uh, an example of how God used the courage of ordinary men to advance his cause. And so I think it's a great encouragement to us as we're in a sermon series on uh, giving the gospel. So we're, we're just going to read starting from verse 1 right through uh, verse 32. But there's really one verse I want us to focus on. Let me read that first. That's verse 29. Acts 4.29 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So what has happened here as we pick up in verse 1 is that Peter and John were on their way into the temple at the time of prayer to pray And there at the door of the temple, they met a lame man who was being laid there uh, to beg for alms from the people going into the temple. And so when Peter and John came there, they said, look at me, look at us. So he looked, expecting to get some money, and they healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, the man got up, he's walking and leaping and praising God, coming with them into into the prayer meeting in the temple. And everyone says, what's this? And Peter explains, and he explains to them the gospel. And he explains that Jesus of Nazareth, whom they crucified, has been raised from the dead, that he is alive, that he is Lord. And um, at that moment, we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking in the temple. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is a passage which I believe was included here. At least one of the reasons why this account is included is to give us a picture of what it was. What was the dynamic 
that caused the early church to grow, that caused God's purposes among his people to be advanced. And it was bold courage in speaking the gospel of Christ, even despite opposition. We've uh, been in a series for a few weeks on giving the gospel, encouraging ourselves to be evangelists, to share the good news which we have been given. And so a few weeks ago, Jeremy spoke to us from Matthew 28 and showed us, reminded us that we have, we have been given authority. We're authorized to speak. We've been sent. And then he, he talked about the problem that we have is that we, we don't know what to say. And so we went over the talking points from Luke chapter 24 that we need to focus on Christ and the gospel is about Christ. And then last week, about the power of the message because we feel that we can speak and speak and say things and nothing will happen. But Jeremy reminded us from the book of Romans that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. But we hear all of that and we realize that we've got this powerful message, but then we just, we we lock up. We just freeze up. What will people think? How can I talk to these people and say these things? They're going to think weird thoughts about me. And anyway, I'm just not eloquent. I stumble over my words. How how can I really get over my, my inertia and start the conversation and start talking? And uh, we don't feel that we've got an open door. We don't feel we've got an opportunity. And the open doors that come before us, we, we say, well, it's not really quite open enough. And our fear stops us from speaking. And we need boldness and courage. <clears throat> or just our slowness of speech causes us just to stop and not say anything and never get started. But what we see here in this little story, is that God is at work through the gospel. And Peter and John found great courage to speak very boldly because they believed that God was with them and that God was at work through this message and through them as God's messengers. And so that, I think, is a conviction that is portrayed for us so that we will also imitate it that we will have confidence that God is with us and we will be bold to speak his message. And what I see here in, in this passage is the Trinity. I see the Father at work, the Father addressed in prayer. I see the Son at work. The Son is exalted. The Son is the topic of conversation. The Son is the gospel He is the focus of attention. He is the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is the one empowering the people to go and do the work of God. And so I want us just to see how encouraging it is to recognize that God is at work through the gospel. As we look at the Father at work through the gospel, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first, the Father governs for the gospel. The Father is the governor of all things, the sovereign Lord. And in governing the world, he guides things for the benefit of the gospel, for the glory of the gospel, that the good news of the gospel might reach more and more people. 
so that thanksgiving might return to God. God governs for the gospel. Will you look at chapter 4, verse 24? When the people began to pray, they turned to God. And as they named the God whom they were to pray to, they named him Sovereign Lord, because that's who he is. He governs. He rules. So they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God made it all. He started it all. And he guides it and rules it towards his purposes and his ends. So God is the creator. He is the one who governs everything. And then specifically, where did God focus his attention in governing the world? Look at verse 27. He anointed Jesus. This is God's focus. It's on the gospel. So it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. God anointed his son. And so God was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. God was the one who seated him at his right hand. God was the one who caused his son to be born of a woman who sent the announcement that his birth was to come. God was the one who sent his son to the cross. God is the one who has set forth his son to to an unbelieving world that they might turn and believe in him and be saved. God is the one who anointed Christ. He is the anointer. He is the creator and the anointer and he is the governor. And verse 28, he governs even amid rebellion. 428, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Even when things are going against God's plan, God is governing. God is in control. And he guides things in the way that pleases him and fulfills his purposes. Maybe not the way that we would have suggested he do things, but in the way that accomplishes his purposes. And then God the creator, the anointer, the governor is also the supplier of his people. Will you look at verses 30 and 31? Uh, Verses uh, 29 and 30. And uh, we see that he enables his people with boldness in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then in verse 30 we see that He guides circumstances and situations so as to create awareness and to make visible His presence and His power, especially in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, stretch out Your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus. So God is the supplier. So pray to the Father. You have work to do of announcing the good news, of giving the good news. Pray to the Father. It is his desire to see the gospel extended to the nations, to the world. He loves your loved ones more than you do. He is more concerned about your neighbor's welfare than you are. And he desires that people be saved. So pray to him. Ask him for boldness. Ask him for courage. Just as these disciples asked 
for the enablement to speak and uh, ask God to be with you and to give you courage to speak. Ask Him to bless your labors. And trust God. God is at work to accomplish great things. Trust Him. Have you heard the, the saying, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. God is at work doing great things. So look to Him to accomplish great things for His name's sake. Believe Him that He is at work. Expect great things from God. And then don't just do little things. Don't just do what you can do, but expand your vision to accomplish and do beyond, uh, beyond what is humanly possible. Go out on a limb for God. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to set goals, even as a congregation, that are beyond what we can reach. It's good for you to attempt to do things by faith in God because you believe He is there, you, that He is real, and that His gospel must go forth to all the world, to the ends of the earth. And you're committed to that so that you venture forth and try things in, uh, for his sake. <clears throat> Even when it looks bad. Continue to trust God. Continue to expect great things. Even when God organizes things in the wrong way. The way that appears wrong to us. The way that it seems that things are turning against God's ways. Against God's plans. This whole story in Acts 4 is, is about tremendous opposition and intimidation. Everything is going wrong. Imagine, God does this wonderful thing. There's this healing. This guy is healed. And they come into the temple and they have this great open door. So they're sharing the gospel. And then what happens? Those first few verses of chapter 4 are so intimidating. Just imagine you're locked up. You're taken in. Because the authorities don't like your message. And so you sleep in the jail overnight until the big names can gather. And the Sanhedrin meets in Jerusalem. And the leaders of the nation gather. And they call you in. They summon you there and they begin to question you. It's so intimidating. I tell you, if I were there, I would begin to think about what really is the, the, the necessity of, of uh, me proclaiming all of this stuff and doing all of this? And then they give threats and they give warnings and they tell me, do not speak this name anymore. Boy, what am I going to do? Uh, not what these disciples did. They believed in God. They believed in a time like this that God is still sovereign, that he is still in control, that he is still the Lord, the creator, the anointer, and the supplier of his people. And so they spoke, they spoke boldly. Let me tell you about a guy. Uh, his name's William Carey, and uh, he became a missionary in India. And uh, his, his path to that, uh, to that goal was filled with obstacles. And you've, you've heard some of the things, but there, there are even more things you haven't heard of the obstacles he faced. But he was a cobbler. He was an un, uneducated man, self-educated. And so on his uh, workbench where he made shoes, he had, a, he had a map in front of him of the world. And the nations were always on his heart. 
And he was always thinking and gathering statistics and information about all the peoples of the world who were beyond the reach of the gospel. But as he began to campaign for Christians to extend the work of the gospel and to use whatever means were available to spread the good news into these other far lands, uh, people were upset with what he was doing and what he was saying. In opposition to his work, the directors of the huge influential East India Company presented this resolution to the English Parliament. The sending out of missionaries into an eastern possession is the maddest, most extravagant, most costly, most indefensible project which has ever been suggested by a moonstruck fanatic. And then in 1796, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland passed the following resolution. To spread the knowledge of the gospel amongst barbarians and heathens seems to be highly preposterous. One opposer, a speaker of the House in Commons, the House of Commons, said he would rather see a band of devils let loose in India than a band of missionaries. And so William Carey uh, persevered through, through all these sorts of things. Despite it all, uh, Carey said, why is my soul disquieted within me? Things may turn out better than I expect. Everything is known to God and God cares. So here's a fellow, he was over there finally, he was working in India. Uh, you know, his, his wife went mad. And so he, he had the, the personal tragedy in his family. Uh, persevering through all this, 25 years he saw very few converts. Finally things began to pick up. And uh, he, he eventually had hundreds of converts. He translated the Bible into six languages. Listen to what happened. He was translating the Bible. The warehouse burned down all the supplies for producing Bibles and manuscripts where, which he had painstakingly worked to produce you know, translations were, were lost. And so translations in progress were completely lost and, and he said, it's God's will. And he just went back and started over again. William Carey said, I can plod and to this I owe everything that I've been able to accomplish. <clears throat> he just kept going. <clears throat> I'm going to keep going here. <clears throat> so, uh, so, Carrie knew that God is there and God cares. And that kept him going against all odds. Keep going. God cares. He's guiding things. Even when it looks bad, trust that the Lord is in control. So, God uh, governs for the gospel and uh, the Son saves through the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus, the Son. So the Father governs for the gospel. The Son saves through the gospel. And so everything that the apostles were speaking about and focusing on was on Jesus because Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Gospel. And so chapter 4, verse 26, He is the Anointed One. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His Anointed One. That is the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one that God chose. And uh, His is the name that must be proclaimed. Look, 
Look there in verse 30. And here's what they call out to God to do, to exalt the name of Jesus. They say in verse 30, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They want that name to be exalted. And that is exactly what they were told not to do, that they should speak no more in that name. And they were telling them that it's the name of Jesus that is responsible for this healing. Jesus is the only name by which we may be saved. And so in verse 12, the, the apostles boldly uh, assert that claim. So Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. God has committed all of his work of saving into the hands of Jesus. God has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So we need to, we need to get this. We need to realize that salvation is in Christ and salvation is in Christ alone. And this will create the sense of urgency, which is going to give us the sense of compassion. It's going to drive us out there that we have to speak. This is going to give us the boldness that God is committed to this message which has been entrusted to you. Will you just listen to, to some scripture passages that speak of uh, the exclusivity of Christ, the only way. In John chapter 6, Jesus was giving some hard teaching and many of his disciples were turning away and then Jesus asks the twelve, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. Jesus' own words. He asserts this claim over and over, but so clearly in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In the book of Acts, as the story continues to unfold, we see the exclusivity of Christ pressed upon us again and again. Here's this great uh, soldier, this centurion named Cornelius. And He's told as an angel appears to him that his prayers and his, uh, his offerings, his deeds, his works have come up before God as a remembrance. Now send to Joppa for Simon Peter because he has the message that you must hear to be saved. And so uh, then in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions on one of Paul's missionary journeys, they're trying to go into this place, they're trying to go into that place. Acts 16 verse 9, During the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. People need the gospel of Christ. So they get into Macedonia. They're in the leading city of Macedonia, Philippi. <clears throat> And here they've been thrown in jail. You know, the kind of typical stuff that happens. This opposition to the gospel. And while they're in jail, God breaks open the jail. He sends an earthquake. The chains fall off. The doors come open. The jailer wakes up. Acts 16, verse 27. 
And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, you don't need anything that we can give you. Just look to yourself. You're, you know, you're a good person. You're not so bad. Just look inside for the inner resources that are going to enable you to, to be like God. No, that's not what they said. They said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. In Romans chapter 10, people can't be saved unless they hear the gospel. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13, verse 14 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not known? How can they, the one they have not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. We have been entrusted with the gospel as ambassadors. And the message of reconciliation has been given to us. And we have to go. God is pleading through us to a world that is estranged from him to be reconciled with him. So have confidence that Jesus is with you. He goes with you. And have confidence in the power that he brings to bear on people's lives. And have compassion for the lost. The Son of God is the Savior of the world and people are lost without him. There's a a fellow in in, uh, Boston named Ed Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher at a church called Mount Vernon Church. Uh, A new young man came to his Sunday school class, and uh, Ed Kimball always had the habit of of getting to know the people in his Sunday school classes. So he went and he visited this, this fellow in the place where he worked. The account says, I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. And when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the young man and that when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was and when they found out that they might start to taunt him and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. And then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it done and over with at once. I found him in the back part of the store, wrapping up shoes in paper and putting them on shelves. I went up to him, put my hand on his shoulder, and then I made my plea. And I feel that it was really a very weak one. I don't know just what words I used, nor could he tell later on, but I simply told him of Christ's love for him and of the love Christ wanted in return. That was all there was of it. I think he said afterward that there were tears in my eyes. It seemed that the young man was just ready for the light that then broke upon him. 
For there at once in the back of that, that shoe store in Boston, the future great evangelist D.L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. So Moody was, uh, was converted just by a man going and scraping together enough boldness to go and talk to him. And uh, God will use you. He will give you the boldness that you need. And when you go, he'll give you the words to speak. So, God the Father governs for the gospel. That is where his attention is. God the Son saves through the gospel. That's why he came, so that you could go with the message about him. And God the Spirit enables and empowers for the gospel. God the Spirit empowers for the gospel. So we've said that Jesus is the anointed one. We've seen that he was anointed by the Father. But here's where uh, we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all coming together in one work. Jesus was anointed by the Father. He was the anointed one. Where is it in, in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that we hear any talk of Jesus being anointed? Maybe the clearest is when he stands up in his inaugural address in Luke chapter 4 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The Spirit is the anointing of Jesus. And so we, 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 we recall this, this one great Trinitarian event in the Gospels when God the Father speaks from heaven about his Son who is here in the Jordan River being baptized. And the Holy Spirit, in form of a dove, descends from heaven upon the Son. And Jesus is anointed and set forth before all people as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, the Messiah the anointed one, the chosen one. The Holy Spirit is the anointing. And Jesus has passed on a share of his anointing to us. Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers. And that's what we see in this passage. Look in, in Acts 4, verse 8. And uh, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And so this is a refrain throughout uh, the book of Acts, is they were filled with the Spirit, especially as they spoke. And then again, look, uh, look in, in chapter 4, verse 30. It was not only Peter and the apostles who were filled with the Spirit and enabled to speak, but all of the believers, uh, chapter 4, verse 31, uh, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I suppose in a message about boldness, I have to at some point come around to defining boldness. And uh, so now that I'm near the end, it's a, it's a good time to do that. Uh, would you just turn to verse 13? 
boldness is confidence in speech. That's really what's, what's being focused on so much in this passage. And so in verse 13, see what they say as they look at Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus, the rabbi. So what was it that they saw that caused them to see there was great courage? They saw what Peter said. They saw how Peter spoke. And so this word courage, the way it's used, the way it, uh, what its meaning is in, in the book of Acts especially, is boldness and confidence of speech. It means speaking up. And this is what the disciples did. And this is how the church was planted. And this is how the cause of God moved forward despite the opposition which was about to end it. They spoke up. And so when, when the man, the lame man was healed and people say, what's this? Peter says, this is what it is. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead and he is alive. And he is the Lord and he is the Savior and you need him. And so they, they just laid it out plainly and clearly so people could get it. And that is boldness. Just telling the truth. So uh, this is what, what we're promised we're going to be able to do. That's what verse, chapter 4 verse 30 seems to imply is that when the Spirit came, verse 31, when the Spirit came, He helped them all to speak. We get the same promises in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses uh, 11 to 12. Luke 12, 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Same thing again in Luke 21. Luke 21, verses 14 and 15. But make up your minds not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Well, I don't put much stock in organized religion. That's what my friend was told a young man, a high schooler in our church. It doesn't sound like a great opening for an evangelistic conversation. It doesn't look like an open door. But he was so excited that he, had, he got a great opportunity to share just coming out of that. They had a little chit-chat in some downtime when they were at school one day. And, you know, what did you do over the weekend? Oh, I was at church. And, uh, oh, we did some other stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, oh, I don't put much stock in organized religion. Oh, really, why not? Well, you know, everybody just gets together and they just push each other to do what other people say. And Well, what we do is we get together to find out what the Word of God says and to make sure that we're really getting God's Word. Oh, well, that's interesting. And so the conversation goes on back and forth. And uh, this fellow, he, he got words. All these arguments came into his mind. How did I remember that? Where did that verse come from? And boy, I was sure able to put that clearly and plainly. And uh, the Holy Spirit was just giving me what to say. And how many times have I heard people say the same thing? This is the normal Christian experience. 
that we begin to speak and we don't know what we're going to say or how we're going to say it, but God gives us the words and he enables us to speak. And so a mother talking to her, to her children, a grandmother talking to her grandchildren, it must have been the Holy Spirit that just gave this to me to say. Uh, someone talking to their friend over the, the water cooler or whatever. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit just brought this verse to mind. You know, I can't explain it any other way. And, and we, we just have this experience again and again that the Spirit empowers us to speak. So we at South Shore Baptist, we encourage people to speak. All kinds of people. Because God is at work among his people. And he sends his spirit, uh, how should I say it, uh, democratically. He doesn't pick and choose and say, you know, only certain types of people are allowed to have the spirit and the enablement of the spirit. So speak up. Maybe you don't know what you'll say. Maybe you feel that you're not qualified, that you're not prepared, that you're not the right kind of person. But if you have an open door, speak up. And uh, we'll just expect great things from God. And we will attempt great things from God. You know who said that? That was uh, William Carey in an address from the book of Isaiah to his fellow missionaries, his fellow, his fellow pastors, trying to get them to have a heart for evangelism and world missions. Expect great things for God. Attempt great things for God. And that fellow D.L. Moody, he, um, he was just an uneducated shoe salesman. You know, it didn't have a lot of time to educate him when he was growing up. He went off to Boston, began selling shoes, Christ got a hold of his life. He went off to Chicago, moved west to where the action was, and he still had to live for the Lord and serve the Lord. He got involved in ministry every way he could. This fellow became the first modern mass evangelist. He developed mass evangelism. The whole idea of a, of a city crusade was something that really developed under D.L. Moody. He recruited hundreds for missions, including the famous Cambridge Seven who left fame and fortune to go and serve as missionaries in China. He, uh, he started uh, numerous churches, charities, and schools. He led countless thousands to Christ through his uneducated, simple, fresh, clear, dedicated, bold speech. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you delight to use ordinary people. Give us the courage and the boldness to speak. In Jesus' name, amen.